Welcome to the One and O podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The One and O podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel, and today we will talk about Texas's 58-0 shutout victory over the Rice Owls. Before we talk about the upcoming matchup with Texas Tech and the rest of the Big 12 conference as conference play gets going, be sure to listen to our show and Everyone Gets a Trophy with Paul Wadlington and Kevin Dunn. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And let us know what you'd like to hear by sending an email to everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. That's everyone, number one, gets a trophy at gmail.com. And our show would not be possible without the following sponsors. Audio visual consultations. Give them a call, 512-255-8678 to get the home TV setup of your dreams. Football season is in full swing. No better time than right now to call my friends at AV Consultations to get hooked up for the 2021 season. And we're also brought to you by Altstadt Brewery, Altstadt Beer. It is German beer made here and the best beer that you can find all throughout the state of Texas. Pick up a six-pack. The next time you're at the store, it is Altstadt beer. No impurities, no regrets. Brad, it's uh, it's hard to complain about a 58-0 win, and uh, I don't think I'm going to complain about a 58-0 win. That was that was an enjoyable experience, I think, from pretty much any Texas fan from start to finish. Of course, there's always going to be a couple plays that don't go Texas' way, but I think the vast majority of them did go Texas' way, and there's a lot of good things to pick up from that game. Yeah, no doubt about it. Just a, a nice bounce back for Texas. Uh, the largest margin of victory for the Longhorns in a single game since 2005. They ran for 427 yards, which is the most rushing yards in an individual game since 2011. So a lot of good things, obviously pitching a shutout to a nice bounce back for the defense that had a rough second half in Fayetteville. They did what they were supposed to do against Rice, and they did it better than what they were supposed to do. Let's be honest, Joe. I mean, Texas was a 26 to 27 point favorite, and they won the game by 58. Now, do we put a whole lot of stock into it? No, probably not. Are most Texas fans putting a ton of stock into that game? No, probably not. But it was a nice, smooth, easy victory for Texas, and they bounced back from one of their worst performances in years in a nice way. So good individual performances, and overall, the team did a great job on Saturday. Yeah, I was. I mean, there was there was no issue at all with that game. They they went down and scored. I think on that first drive, uh, got Xavier Worthy involved very very early, and that was. I think that's something that we need to touch on. Normally, we've seen in these past few years, and of course, it's a different coaching staff. But these players, where it seems so obvious, like, hey, get this guy the ball. He's good. They don't always get that guy the ball. But for this game, you know, and Casey Thompson's first start at quarterback. Casey Thompson really wasn't asked to do that much. It was a lot of uh, the, the, the majority of playmaking was done by Xavier Worthy and then by the Longhorn running backs. And that's a little bit of a change. It's, like I said, it seems so obvious, but it just hasn't been there these past few years. And it finally showed up a little bit on Saturday. Yeah, right. Sam Ellinger was a one-man band. It felt like more often than not during his four years in Austin. But the running game was incredible. And yeah, Xavier Worthy had his best game as a Texas Longhorn, and he kind of felt like Casey Thompson's go-to guy throughout the course of that game. And I think, Joe, that's something to monitor throughout the course of the season, right? You go back to Hudson Card start against Louisiana in week one. Well, it was clear Jordan Whittington was his go-to guy, kind of his safety valve. And it worked, and Jordan Whittington had a great game. Well, it kind of felt like Xavier Worthy was that guy for Casey Thompson. So we'll see if that uh, continues into conference play. But, yeah, good to see Xavier Worthy getting involved. I mean, we heard so much about him all offseason long. The kid's fast as hell, 
And we've heard that yeah, he can do good things when the ball is in his hands. Well, Texas found a way to get the ball in his hands and he made some stuff happen. So hopefully that continues for Xavier Worthy. Hopefully uh, the receiving game continues to produce. But yeah, uh, the story of the offense without question, the running game, Joe, and the explosive runs that Texas had. I mean, you hear 427 yards and you're thinking, all right, well, Texas just like every time they handed the ball off, they got eight or nine yards of carry or something like that. But 321 of those 427 yards, Joe, came on 10 carries. Texas actually had like one-third of the Longhorn carries on Saturday went for two or fewer yards, which we can get into that being a little bit of a concern because I still didn't love what I saw from this offensive line, and I think that's concerning because it was against Rice. But the explosive run, show, I mean, if you can get that, if you can get explosivity for this Texas offense, especially from the running game, that's going to make life a whole hell of a lot easier for the coaching staff and also for the quarterback. This offensive line seems real boomer bust. Uh, is that what you kind of see? Because they either all five are blocking really well and they make the play and make the, the crease for the running back or they give the quarterback time or it's just a disaster. I, I don't know how how it works out that way. And it doesn't seem like it's always just one player. It seems like it all seems to happen at the same time. Is that kind of the sense that, that you have from this offensive line? Yeah, I'm seeing way more bust than boom. I mean, obviously they were much better against Rice than they were against Arkansas, but they didn't quite dominate the way I wanted them to dominate against the worst team on their schedule this year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with the second half of your statement where it feels like it's cohesive, right? There are some plays where all five guys are doing great, but it feels like there are also plays where multiple guys just get completely blown off the line of scrimmage and, they're in the backfield before Texas can do anything. But that's still a concern for me, Joe. Uh, I, I would have loved and, and look, once again, a game against Rice, you're not going to put too much stock into it. So even if Texas did physically impose their will on pretty much every snap against the Owls, I would still be a little skeptical going into the Big 12 play. But because they didn't do that, I'm just thinking that group is going to be a weakness and something that Sark and Kyle Flood and the rest of this offensive coaching staff is going to have to coach around for this offense to be successful in 2021. Yeah, and I think we saw we saw uh, some glimpses of that on Saturday with the way they moved Worthy around, with the way they they put guys into motion and got the running game going, including with a uh, a, a unique Wildcat look with with Rashawn Johnson. So, uh, but that's. You know, it, the, the next thing I wanted to kind of look at is is quarterback. I mean, we kind of forgot in this whole all these different storylines that were going on with Rice that this was Casey Thompson's first start at quarterback. And one of the things I think I mentioned was he wasn't asked to do a whole lot. So have we really learned that much about the quarterback battle at this point? Because Casey Thompson wasn't asked to do a whole lot. He did well. And that back shoulder throw to Xavier Worthy was a heck of a throw, one that he said that he and Worthy practiced outside of the confines of normal practice. He hit a wide open Jared Wiley on a touchdown run. He had one interception where he kind of faked for a second, but a lot of it had to do with the pressure that was in his face from that offensive line. Do you think we have any sort of real, you know, clear resu or clear vision as to what Casey Thompson can do for quarterback at this or at quarterback for this team going forward? Yeah, no, in regards to your question about the quarterbacks, like I put more stock into what Casey Thompson did in the second half against Arkansas than I do what he did against Rice. And I got to come up with a different expression besides put some stock in. Uh, if that was a drinking game, people would be hammered right now. And coaching around the offensive line a little bit and seeing that on Saturday, uh, a lot of short and intermediate throws. 
And I think that bodes well for Casey Thompson's skill set, but I also think that bodes well for the lack of offensive line play that Texas is going to have this year. So I like that game plan. And when you think of Sark at Alabama, you think of like 50, 60-yard bombs that Mack or Tua would throw to Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell or Jerry Judy. Obviously, you'd love that, and hopefully in time that will come for Texas. But, Joe, because of this offensive line, I'm just like I feel like your explosive plays are going to have to be on the ground game. And your passing game is going to have to be a lot of short and intermediate. Just get the ball out of Casey Thompson's hands and let your receivers go to work once they once they make the catch. So I, I guess the questions are still there with quarterback. Casey Thompson obviously didn't do anything wrong to where you're like, well, should Hudson Card start against Texas Tech this weekend? Clearly, Casey's the guy and he should be. But uh, yeah, now the real tests start. I mean, Texas Tech this weekend, their defense has actually been the strength of their team. We'll preview them in a second. Then you go to Fort Worth and play Gary Patterson. Well, we know how good he is defensively. And then Oklahoma's defense has been the strength of their football team, arguably, this year. So three relatively tough defenses coming up for Casey Thompson. Obviously, uh, we're going to be watching that to see if he's the dude long term. Absolutely. What about I mean, we focused on that one position so much. What about the rest of the offense? It was, you know, because the passing game wasn't asked to do a whole lot, pretty quiet, pretty limited. What about the offensive line? I guess if we're going to start talking about like, hey, does this position need to be have any changes? We, we can kind of go back and forth at quarterback all day. Running back, it's pretty clear. And even tight end, it's, it's clear, but it's deep. But offensive line is always going to be that position, at least this year, where it's wondering if that sixth guy, if that seventh guy, most likely Andre Karich and, and Hayden Connor are upgrades. You think it's time to maybe make one of those moves? Because... If you decide it is, it'd be different than what uh, Steve Sarkeesian and Kyle Flood have decided, and they're basically keeping that same biasome out there. Do you, you think it's time to maybe try something out on that left side of the line? Yeah, it could be. I mean, I wouldn't go into this Texas Tech game making any changes, right? I'd keep the same five to start, but I think the leash should be relatively short. Um, man, Denzel Okafor has been a huge disappointment. I mean, maybe it shouldn't be too surprising because he's – you know, been here a long time, but you're hoping because he's been here for as long as he's been here and it's year six for him. And you feel like he's finally got a good offensive line coach that he could have put some stuff together. But yeah, I, I wouldn't make any changes going into the game, Joe, but once again, the leash I think should be pretty short. I, I'm glad some of the reserve O linemen got some reps in against rice. Uh, it's, you know, it's different between practice and in-game experience. So that was good to see those guys get some real run on a Saturday, but yeah, like uh, none of those guys, have really done enough to like solidify themselves. Like, I don't think anybody is locked into a starting spot right now. There's no Sam Cosme on this offensive line where it's like, well, you know, if he has a bad game, you know, he's going to bounce back and be really good. Like, I just, I don't know if there's one of those guys right now. So it's going to be something we're going to have to monitor throughout the year. Yeah. I've, I've always kind of wondered about the approach to this year from the staff. Of course they want to win every game. Of course, everybody wants to win every game, but at the same time, it is still year one and maybe recruiting urgency makes it so you can't waste any time, especially at a place like Texas, especially at a place like Texas where you could win in, in your first season and, and put a good product on the field. But maybe they, and I, I kind of wonder if that would allow them to maybe tinker with the offensive line a little bit more than it say, if it were in a go for it year, like a lot of people anticipated last year was supposed to be. So I, I've, I've always kind of wondered, you know, where where does Steve Sarkeesian find that balance of trying things out in his first year, getting guys opportunities in his first year and also winning? And I think the offensive line maybe 
in the middle of that tug of war in, in some semblance. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of does. And I kind of like that thought. Look, I mean, at Texas, we're all starving for a winner, right? Uh, we all want Sark to win right now. And we know how talented this roster is, at least in terms of on paper, just based on recruiting rankings for these cats. But let's be real. I mean, Sark's not losing his job after this year. Like he's, he's going to get time. It might be three years. It might be four years, like his two predecessors, but he's not just going to get one year to get it right. So he doesn't have to win right now. Uh, obviously we'd prefer it to happen earlier rather than later, but yeah, like it, it will be interesting. I had that thought going into this season. You know, how is this coaching staff going to handle this year? And another thing for people to consider, I know we've talked about this on this pod, Joe, like people forget Texas has less returning production than anybody in the big 12 from last year to this year. So yeah, the talent is there and Texas recruits better than just about any team. So you feel like Texas should be competitive in this conference this year and every single year, but there are a lot of new faces in new places, uh, and that's obviously a new coaching staff, too, and that combination of things might lead to some growing pain. So it's not going to be perfect in year one. I think we all saw that in Fayetteville last weekend. There are going to be some bumps and bruises uh, along this path, and, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see if Sark goes for just winning now or trying to find ways to develop guys or beyond this year, too. Yeah. yeah. Anything else on offense, or you want to move to the uh, to the other side of the ball real quick? No, just, uh, I guess, final thought. Good to see Jonathan Brooks get out there. Uh, he got his first touchdown, his first run as a Texas running back, but nine carries, 63 yards, and a score for him. Rojo was awesome. Bijan was Bijan. Keelan Robinson was great. Like, we've talked about it. Everybody's talked about it. The deepest position group on offense for Texas is the running back position, and those guys all showed out on Saturday. So it's good to see just how much they have there. Uh, hopefully – those guys will all get some run for non-injury purposes, right? Hopefully Texas can have some comfortable wins this year where you do get to see that depth really shine like we did on Saturday. That drum beat you hear in the background is me clamoring for more 20 personnel. But anyway, <laughs> let's go to the defense. And of course, you know, Rice is not a very strong opponent. We've, we've gone over that over and over and over. Shutting out anybody still a great thing, uh, even if the, the opponent is – down to their third quarterback and it's Rice's third quarterback who is a transfer from Weber State there, there was a certain point where you could just tell that I think it was after that missed field goal for Rice that it, it, they weren't going to go anywhere they could get a couple chunk plays on on some mistakes uh, made by Texas defenders but for the most part they weren't going to get into the end zone and so I, I was pretty happy with what I saw from all over, I think uh, the defensive line, it's it's been up and down, and some's been really good, and some's been really bad, but there's some flashes from guys like Moro Ojimo and even Byron Murphy, who uh, had a really good game that that kind of make me feel, I, I, I don't know how to feel about this defensive line. I feel a lot worse about it than I did beginning of the year because mm -hmm. I thought it would be a strength, and at this point, it, it, it really hasn't. It hasn't been the best unit on the defense like a lot of people thought it would be no it really hasn't uh, question for you joe who would have been better at quarterback for rice on saturday luke mccaffrey or christian mccaffrey oh man they probably needed christian to get past the line of scrimmage at this rate yeah i think christian would have been the better option just go with like the baylor offense that they ran against texas a couple of years ago where they just like didn't have a quarterback and ran at every play weber state guy for Rice on Saturday, Constantine or Dame Lillard? You think Dame would have been able to uh, lead the Rice Owls to some scoring on Saturday? I think he would have tried to take a, make a couple uh, bombs down the field, but no, I don't. I don't think 
you, you could have put in any McCaffrey, any Weber State's best athlete of all time. <laughs> I don't think it was going to make much difference for for Mike Bloomgren's offense that likes playing in a phone booth. Yeah, no doubt about that. To your point about the D-line, yeah, I feel worse about that group going into conference play than I did going into the season just because of what happened in Arkansas. I mean, they weren't great against Louisiana, but like, okay, they held their own. Obviously, they looked better against Rice, but yeah, there's no doubt Arkansas, like the bodies, the guys that Arkansas recruits are more akin to the guys that Texas will see in the Big 12. So a little concerning that Texas got dominated in the trenches in that game in Fayetteville. I do have some questions about that bunch, and that is disappointing because everybody not only expected that group to be the best group on the Texas defense, Joe, but like we thought that'd be one of the better D-line groups in the country, and that is clearly not the case right now. Uh, I do like what I saw from Byron Murphy. I'm glad you brought him up. It was interesting. Keandre Coburn, in an interview before the season, like compared Byron Murphy to Aaron Donald, and we're all just like, what? Hey, this guy's a true freshman. He's a three-star recruit, and we're comparing him to the best player in the NFL and one of the best defensive players of all time. Like, what, what are we doing here? Obviously, he's not there yet, but, like, that is a guy to watch for. Uh, if Texas doesn't get as much production from its starters on the defensive line, and, hell, you rotate those guys in and out anyways, but maybe Byron Murphy could get some more playing time as the year progresses if he's really as good as uh, as Keandre Coburn and maybe some of the other guys think. But, Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know if you caught my thoughts on Byron Murphy and the defensive yeah. line, but yeah, look, disappointing, disappointing for sure. And I felt great about the Bo Davis hire. I feel great about, I felt great about the personnel on the Texas defensive front, but it hasn't quite clicked yet. If that group's not dominant in big 12 play, then I think the Texas defense is going to be behind the eight ball. Yeah. And, and at the same time, you know, these, these defensive backs haven't been tested very much uh, and in their limited opportunities. They haven't been, Super great, but they haven't been terrible either. Like the safeties still haven't noticed them. That's neither. I don't know if that's good or bad at this point. Corners, aside from Jamison's, you know, play uh, at Arkansas, haven't noticed them. I just don't think they've been tested too much, which I think also speaks a little bit to the linebackers and also to the way Anthony Cook's been playing. So I, there's still a lot that we have to figure out about this defense. You'd think that after three games, we would know a little bit more but we just don't know that much. And that's why this big 12 play is going to be really important. That said, we do have to talk about the third phase of the game. And that was special teams in that Texas played an extremely solid, probably a great game on special teams. You know, you had Cameron Dicker save hit. You saved some pitches on that leg. If that's the right terminology to use <laughs> by letting him, uh, letting Burt Auburn get a few of the kicks in the second half and letting him take care of everything didn't have to punt at all, so you saved him there. Uh, you, you know, the return game saved for the one, uh, the one punt that went off of Deshaun Jamison's face mask. Pretty good. I mean, you saw Xavier Worthy take a ball on the four, but get upfield because he trusted his speed. And then of course, the the big play was Keelan Robinson's punt block, uh, responsible for a safety at the very end of that first quarter. So uh, that's you know, Jeff Banks is paid seven figures for a reason uh a lot of it has to do with recruiting but a lot of it does have to do with special teams and special teams look pretty darn good this past week yeah never bad when you don't have to punt right texas had 10 offensive possessions they scored on eight of them you had the casey thompson int which we talked about earlier and then what late in the fourth quarter when it was already 58 to nothing texas turned it over on downs they probably would have kicked a field goal in that spot if it wasn't 58 to nothing so 
uh, yeah, that was good to see not having to need your kicker or your punter for anything besides extra points. And Keelan Robinson was huge too. So yeah, I'll give Jeff Banks some love. Uh, you mentioned the recruiting aspect. I think we'll see that pay off. We're already starting to see that pay off. Texas has a pretty good class for 2022 at the moment. Uh, but also Jared Wiley had a good game. And Jared Wiley looked like a much improved blocker. I assume that's Jeff Banks, maybe some Kyle Flood too. But I thought Jared Wiley had his second or maybe his best blocking game as a Texas Longhorn. And PFF had Jared Wiley as the second highest graded offensive player for Texas behind only Rojo, who had what 40 plus yards per carry uh, on Saturday, which is pretty damn Great good. Average. Yeah, you're going to get a pretty high grade when you uh, produce like that. But yeah, Jared Wiley, obviously the touchdown catch, his blocking was much improved. Obviously, you'd love that guy to be an impact player the rest of the way. But yeah, Jeff Banks uh, showed out on Saturday and a solid special teams performance for Texas, which um, is good. And then I guess one more thing to wrap up with. When you when you win a game 58 nothing, a lot of guys are going to play. And a lot of guys did play from all up and down the depth chart. Walk-ons got in. The only person that really didn't get in, and Steve Sarkeesian complained about this, about himself, to himself after the game about this was, was Charles Wright at quarterback just to get some, some free handoffs and get some game action. But, uh, you know, I, I just posted GIF analysis on Inside Texas, and it was a look at uh, the way that the true freshmen were able to play. Did any of those guys stand out to you? Uh, obviously, DJ Harris with his sack at the end. But, you know, what, what players uh, stood out to you from the true freshman race? Yeah, I think we talked about a few of them, right? I mean, obviously, Xavier Worthy is the guy you look at first, the leading receiver by far for Texas, 88 yards and a touchdown and three catches on that opening drive. So Sark made it a point of emphasis to get that dude the ball. Uh, John Brooks, we talked about him, right, getting his first run at running back. Nice to see him pick up a touchdown. Byron Murphy, we talked about too. Derek Johnson, DJ Jr., uh, pretty good to see too. So, yeah, I'm trying to think who else – who else stood out? Am I missing anybody, Joe? I'll give you a good one. I, yeah. I, I've been really impressed by the tight ends. Uh, I, I think that Cade Brewer, you mentioned Jared Wiley. Cade Brewer's been playing pretty well. But Juan Davis and Gunnar Helm hmm. uh, have both gotten a good amount of snaps this early in the year. And a lot of it had to do with Jared Wiley's uh, tender shoulder that he's had for these first two weeks. Gunnar Helm has played well. I thought Juan Davis played really, really mean against Rice, uh, and even Jatavian Sanders, a guy still learning that tight end position, he showed several really good plays, and it was him blocking. I don't think he was targeted once at all, so he blocked really, really well uh, for the Longhorns this past week, so I, I've been really, uh, I had a feeling that there would be some good from that tight end class. I didn't realize that all three guys would be making an impact this early, uh, which also, I guess one more point, uh, this isn't so much about the Rice game, but about all three games. Have you noticed just how many players have played this year? No. Do you have an exact number? I don't know, but when I'm seeing guys all the way down the depth chart at, on, on the defensive line, at linebacker, a little bit in the defensive back, like uh, Ayodele Adeaway, Devin Richardson, two guys we didn't hear much about at, at when, when the game was at Arkansas, they played plenty. Uh, against Rice, and they played yep. plenty early. Um, Myron Warren, uh, you know, Byron Murphy, we mentioned, Baron Sorrell, another true freshman. Like, it seems like on defense, Pete Kwiatkowski is trying to get a lot of players in. 
part of that may have to do with the opponent because they did that versus Louisiana and they did that versus Rice and not so much versus Arkansas. But I mean, is it, considering all the complaining that you and I and countless others have done about rotating too much in recent years and getting some of your best players off the field, what do you think about all this rotation that you've seen or or are hearing about? at all these different positions. No, I think you brought up an important point in that argument there. Like, we didn't see it against Arkansas, really. You know, when Texas was up comfortably against Louisiana, we saw it. When Texas was up comfortably against Rice, we saw it. So I'm not expecting that to be an issue we're talking about moving forward. I think PK is going to play his best guys. He's always been the guy who wants to put his best 11 on the field. Uh, I think in crucial situations, he's going to do just that. And I brought it up earlier, you know, in-game reps are important. You're going to have injuries. You might have some bad production to where your backups are going to have to play at some point, getting those guys actual in-game reps, never a bad thing. And of course, with the, I guess I can't call it new anymore because it's been around a couple of years, but the, the red shirt rule, where yeah, guys can play in up to four games this season and still keep their red shirt, like that's huge. I don't think we would see, I don't think we would have seen all of those guys play against Rice on Saturday if well, it was one play and all of a sudden they're not red shirted anymore. They lose that year uh, because you get the four game gap. And yeah, giving guys some PT, never a bad thing, especially when you're beating somebody by damn near 60. I hear that. Want to move on to Texas Tech? Let's do it. All right. So the Red Raiders have played. Three opponents. They won at Houston or at a neutral site game in Houston at Houston NRG Stadium, whatever. One by 17. Uh, had a tight one with Stephen F. Austin. Almost got axed by the Jacks and then hmm. pull away from from Florida International uh, this past week uh, at home. So Texas Tech is coming to Austin. Uh, they don't have to go and deal with the tortillas and in the like from in in the like at, at Jones ATT Stadium in Lubbock just kind of curious what are your uh, overall impressions on a team and I think I told you this before I thought Matt Wells is a or I still think Matt Wells is a good candidate for a midseason uh firing yeah uh, but I you know th this is going to be the stretch that really determines if that's what happens that if that is what happens yeah, that Houston win was big for Matt Wells, right? I don't think Tech fans are freaking out or super excited, I should say, about a win over SFA or FIU. But, like, Matt Wells' seat would have warmed up a lot if they had lost that game to Houston. And it almost feels like down here, Dana Holgerson's seat started to warm up a little bit with that loss to Texas Tech. So that was a good one for Matt Wells to get. But, yeah, I still think his seat is pretty hot in Lubbock, no doubt about that. I mean, if Tech doesn't make a bowl game this year, I think Matt Wells is probably gone despite it only being his third year. I just, there, there's clearly enough money pumping into that athletic department to where they feel like they can upgrade and, and spin to go get somebody better than Matt Wells if he can't turn things around. But we'll see what happens with him. And I think this is far and away his most talented team in his three years in Lubbock. He's hit the transfer portal pretty hard, including for his quarterback, Tyler Shuck, the kid from Oregon who, you know, has some pretty good. NFL potential, depending on who you ask. Like, I don't really see it, but he's got that combination of size and arm strength that uh, a lot of NFL teams kind of clamor for. So maybe a name to look out for next year's NFL draft. But yeah, you know, kind of a big name. He's a decent quarterback and upgrade probably over what they've had at that position the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, he's hit the portal pretty hard to bolster up his talent. And yeah, they've got some players, man. And this is weird to say, Joe, but right now it's three games into the season and 
you know, none of the offenses that Tech has gone up against are all that good. But three games into the season, the strength of Texas Tech is its defense, mainly their rush defense. Like they're giving up less than two yards a carry this year. They, they damn near shut down Houston's running game at NRG. And obviously they did well against SFA and FIU too. So uh, that'll be interesting, right? Because we know that's the strength and the focal point of the Texas offense is establishing Bijan and Rojo and getting the ground game going early. They were able to do that in a big way against Rice and Louisiana, and it led to two wins. They were not able to do that against Arkansas, and it led to an embarrassing loss. So it sort of feels like right now, Joe, strength on strength, uh, the Texas rush offense against the Texas Tech rush defense, which I still can't believe I'm saying that, but that's where they're at right now. So that was a long-winded answer to you asking me, about Matt Wells, uh, yes, his seat is still hot, but man, he he can go a long way this weekend. You know how much Tech fans hate Texas. He can go a long way this weekend with the win in Austin to uh, to saving his job for at least another year. Absolutely, yeah. You got to look at that defense with guys like Colin Schooler, Demarcus Fields, Rico Jeffers, Eric Monroe, Reggie Pearson. There's some guys who have uh, accumulated plenty of tackles for loss, and that kind of speaks to what you're talking about with them having a good rush defense. It, it, it's crazy that that's what it is. That this is a Texas Tech team built around defense and honestly running the football. I mean, I, I agree a lot with a lot of what you said about Shook. Um, I think this past game against Florida International may have overinflated his numbers a little bit because if you look at his game against Stephen F. Austin, 12 of 22, 54 uh, or 54 percent completion percentage two picks it's kind of been up and down he, and he got right against florida international with uh, you know 399 yards and and four touchdowns but yeah this this texas tech team seems to be all about running the football and that has to do with taj brooks that has to do with the maybe healthy sir roderick thompson it has to do with with xavier white the the other running back taj brooks a local product from over here in Maynard. Uh, Texas even flirted with him during his recruitment process, and he ended up signing with Texas Tech. So it, it seems weird that we're talking about a, a Texas Tech team, even with Sonny Cumbie as its offensive coordinator, uh, that, that focuses a lot on, on running the football and, and helping those guys out. And still, there's still a very dangerous receiver on the outside in Eric Ezukanma, a guy who would probably be starting at Texas right now uh and a guy who's been he, he's another one of those how long has he been there guys well this <laughs> is his this is only his uh red shirt junior year so if he wanted to he could even come back next year and maybe even the year after if he wanted to use the COVID year so there's definitely some uh ways to, to for this Texas Tech team to attack you and let's be honest Matt Wells and Tom Herman came from a very similar offensive uh family uh, the, the main difference, I think, was they wanted to do 10 or 11 personnel all over the field. Matt Wells just wanted to do it a lot faster than anybody else. And with the hiring of Sonny Cumbie, he, he's kind of changed that a little bit. A culture fit, obviously, a former Texas Tech quarterback, a raid guy. So that's that's something that uh, Texas Tech also really, really loves. But he, he has a little bit more emphasis on running the football than probably a lot of other raid guys. We saw that at TCU. And we're starting to see that a little bit more with Texas Tech, especially considering considering their talented backs. Yeah, three skill position players on offense for Texas Tech to keep an eye out for. You brought up one of them, EZE, Eric Ezukama. He's a stud, and he's torched Texas, right, in 2019 against the Longhorns. Seven catches, 135 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, obviously 
a guy to look out for for Texas. That'll be a tough test for Deshaun Jameson and the Texas secondary. He's a really, really talented player. And I heard he was made available to the media in Lubbock yesterday, and he was saying, like, how much that loss last year to Texas hurt them. Like he said, that was far and away the worst loss of the season, understandably so. I mean, they had a 15-point lead with, like, three minutes to go and then just totally choked it away. Uh, that one had to hurt. So he's going to be amped up. He's ready to go for this one. And once again, he's delivered against Texas in the past. So easy E. And then the two running backs. So Roderick Thompson, we know, because he's been there the last couple of years and he's been pretty productive the last couple of years. He was hurt, though, to start the season. Like he just got his first run in this past weekend against FIU. And we got a few carries. So still coming back from injury. But I think he's going to play on Saturday. And if he's anything like the Sir Roderick Thompson we saw last year, He's a talented running back. But, yeah, the other running back, Joe, you talked about the Tech running game being solid right now. Taj Brooks, he's been really good, uh, a name that not a lot of people knew before the start of the season. Well, unless you keep up with Central Texas high school football because he's from Maynard. Really, really talented player, off to a great start this season. He's already surpassed his 2020 rushing total in just three games this year. So a nice two-headed monster for Texas Tech in the backfield. So those three guys – are the guys that you're going to have to contain uh, to keep Texas Tech's offense from lining up the scoreboard this weekend. Yeah, this will be a big prove-it game for that defensive line that we were talking about earlier. This will be a big prove-it game for DeMarvin Overshone, for Luke Brockermeyer, even for Anthony Cook to a certain extent. So this is going to be – this is going to tell us a lot about both Texas Tech, obviously, but and, and Texas. It's going to probably be a big – determination as to whether this team can go nine and three or eight and four. Of course, every game is going to be like that when you already have one loss. But, you know, if that if if Texas loses this one, it could it could snowball. There's a chance yeah. it could snowball a little bit over this next month. So that kind of says how important this game is for Texas going forward. Of course, it's hugely important for Matt Wells and his future, because like you said, wins against Texas for Texas Tech head coaches are big and it I think it saved Cliff Kingsbury yeah. a few years ago Hell yeah, uh, after after that one win in Austin. So uh, what else? I, I think we can kind of wrap up on tech, on Texas Tech there. Yeah, the I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit here. Uh, and this might have just been a throw in comment by you. I mean, you said this could be the difference between nine and three and eight and four. Like if Texas loses this game, I think it could be seven and five, Joe. Right. Yeah. Like a, 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 a Texas win. Yeah. Yeah. A Texas win. Like, look, I don't want to sit here and act like it's nothing because Texas Tech, like they're they're a decent team and they've got some talented players. But like a Texas win doesn't change my record thoughts for this football team because there are still I don't know four maybe five tougher games for Texas on the schedule. But a Texas loss, Joe. That tells me that yeah, this could be a seven and five football team, or God forbid, six and six. Yeah, yeah. the uh, The margins are very thin for this Texas football team, and boy, isn't that a lot of fun to cover? But <laughs> do we want to make a prediction? Is this the time for it? Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, any uh, we brought up both so, sides of the ball for Texas Tech. Texas is a seven and a half point favorite in this one. So yeah, now go ahead. What are you thinking? So I don't know where Vegas was coming from with. I think opening at like 13 or something like that. But that line has shot down to, like you said, seven and a half at this point. I thought they would cover, or excuse me, I thought they would win outright, but I didn't think there was any chance they'd cover 13. Uh, I think Texas still wins, but I think this is a game that goes down to the last possession. And I think Texas is going to need a good performance from Casey Thompson because 
like you said, the run defense, they're going to be focusing on Bijan Robinson and Keelan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. Casey Thompson, he, he leads touchdown drives. It's what he's very proficient at. He's got to keep that going because if he doesn't, I think Texas Tech's going to be able to key in on the rush offense and, and make, make a lot of hay there. But I think maybe it's a little optimistic. I think Casey Thompson does get, get it going, all that preparation he talks about and the good evidence that he's already put out on the field, I think will continue to play through. And I can see Texas winning this one. Let's say I'm going to go pretty conventional score. I'll go 35-28. Okay. Slightly over the 61 and a half total, which feels like the lowest total we've seen between these two teams in years. Uh, I'm going to pick Texas to win this game, and I do think Texas covers the seven to seven and a half. I'll go 37 27. So I also think we'll see some points. Uh, I know Texas Tech's defenses look good. We just talked about it. That's been their strength of the team through three games, and you know, 37 points would be the most they've given up all season. They haven't given up more than 22 yet here in 21. Uh, but I'll go 37-27, good guys. I think the running game is able to get some stuff going. I think Casey Thompson's smart with the football and continues to lead Texas on some productive drives offensively. And, yeah, I just don't think Tyler Shuck is, is good enough to come into Austin and get a win. So it won't be easy, but I don't think it's going to be like a final possession nail-biter for the last five minutes or anything like that. Uh, give me Texas by 10. Okay, and I – We'll see if uh, how the people react to that, if, if either of those come to fruition. But you want to talk about the uh, the conference that Texas remains in, at least for right now? Yeah, and how bad it is. I mean, yeah. like every year we talk about how bad it is, but it feels like it's somehow worse this year than it has been in the past. Who's the best team in this conference? Uh, I mean, it's it's got to be Oklahoma still. Like, have they looked the best? No. If you're asking me who's looked the best, it's probably K-State. And yeah. even after losing Skylar Thompson, like they look good against a solid Nevada team that's got a quarterback by the name of Carson Strong, who's going to be a pretty high draft pick next year. So K-State was actually underdogs in that game against Nevada because Skylar Thompson was out, but they found a way to win that game by 21. Deuce Vaughn, Central Texas' own, obviously a big part of that. Uh, so K-State's been the most impressive team through three weeks, Joe, but I, I feel like the answer still has to be Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I think so too, but – Oklahoma somehow has issues and it's not running back, which I think a lot of people thought it would be. It's defense under a, an Alex Grinch defense that has a very good and highly talented defensive line. Uh, they've got, you know, they're starting to add playmakers into the secondary. And we, we saw that and how that Nebraska game ended. And maybe Nebraska was motivated as they ever could be for playing Oklahoma in, in a rivalry old big eight game. But they just look lackluster. They look lackluster against Tulane. They look lackluster against Nebraska. They, it, Spencer Rattler hasn't looked great. Something's something's going on there, and I really don't know what it is. And it's drastically affecting the Big 12's chances of putting a team into the playoff. Yeah, it has been weird, right? I mean, you go back to week one against Tulane, they were 30-something point favorites, and they held on for dear life to get that win. They needed a fourth down stop in the final minute to preserve a, uh, a five-point victory. And then, yeah, you brought up the Nebraska game. I mean, that was anybody's ball game for all four quarters on Saturday. Uh, so, yeah, Oklahoma has not been good, Joe. I mean, I picked them to win the national championship before the season started, and well, I don't feel good about that. Well, I do feel good about that because I want it to be wrong. But in terms of me being right, uh, I don't feel all that good about it because, yeah, they've been one of the bigger disappointments 
uh, in college football this season. So, yeah, uh, they're still the pick for me. I mean, Iowa State's still good. I don't sleep on them. I know they lost to Iowa, but they always lose to Iowa, and then they bounce back and been really good in conference play. So I still think they're probably number two. But, yeah, no, this is not – this does not feel like a great year for the Big 12. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think people should be surprised if the Big 12 doesn't get a team in the playoff this year. And well, if they do, it, it doesn't feel like this is a year where the Big 12 wins a playoff game. Like maybe Oklahoma loses one game, but they, you know, they win the conference again, and that's good enough to get them into the Final Four. Just with what we've seen from them through three weeks, I don't think they're good enough to beat one of the other top three teams in the country. I don't think Iowa State would have the talent to beat one of those top three teams in the country, and well, outside of them, I don't know if you have anybody that realistically even has a shot to get there. So, uh, yeah, not a great non-conference start for the Big 12, no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm with you with K-State probably looking the best, but Oklahoma being the best. I think that's that's kind of the way you characterized it. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to look up and down the conference. Baylor's 3-0, and and they've not really played anybody that should challenge them, although they were challenged by Texas State. We don't have to talk about Kansas, uh, Oklahoma State, their quarterback situation and, and wide receiver situation seems like it's going to be a big governor on whatever they're able to do. Uh, TCU, uh, when you play a team like what, Duquesne, uh, we're going to learn a lot about uh, TCU this week when they play SMU. That's going to be a little bit more of a, a challenge, even though they went neck and neck with Cal. And then just going down the rest of the conference. I mean, Oklahoma State, like I mentioned, they beat Boise State. Iowa State's doing their trademark slow start. West Virginia looks competent. And, you know, Texas looks like what it what it has over however many years we've been watching Texas football, at least at this, you know, these past few years. So, yeah, there's really no clear alpha that just far and away steps over everybody else in the conference right now. Oklahoma is definitely the lead dog, but they're, the way they're playing football, somebody can definitely jump up and get them. Yeah, I mean, it feels like there's an opportunity for Texas, right? But you just said it, Joe. It, Texas doesn't look a whole lot different from the Texas we've seen the last 12 years. I mean, we'll see if this team can be developed over the course of one season. I'm not saying cancel Sark or give up on Sark or anything like that. But you know, with what we saw in Fayetteville, like clearly this team is going to have to be better than that if they want to compete for a spot in the big 12 championship game. But when you look around the conference, it's like, well, maybe there's a chance to get there. So yeah, it'll obviously be interesting to watch. Uh, I think we could have a lot of, you know, like people say in sports, like good, uh, good divisions or in good conferences, what they, they eat each other up. I don't know if that's the expression. What's the actual expression. We're just like, everybody's so good that they beat each other. And then at the end of it, somebody comes out alive, but they're so beaten up and banged up that uh, they're not that good in the playoff or in the postseason. That was totally butchered. Everybody out there knows what I'm talking about, except for me. Uh, like that's going to be the big 12, but like nobody's that good. It's just a bunch of average teams that are going to beat up on one another this season. And like, I, I w- it wouldn't surprise me at all if everybody has like, I mean, at least one loss. I don't think anybody's running the table in this league, but maybe even two losses too. Maybe Oklahoma has only one loss, but like I think whoever finishes second in the Big 12, Joe, will have multiple losses in conference play. So uh, I think it's just going to be one of those years, maybe similar to 2018, right, when Texas got to the Big 12 championship game with a few losses in conference play. I think it's going to be kind of like that. Yeah, I can definitely see that playing out that way. And 
But at the same time, I could see TCU or K-State making it all the way there and Iowa State, you know, just, just it being a crazy year that no one really knows how to, how to pick this conference as it is, uh, it's, it's dying embers. Well, maybe not dying considering they're going to get some more fuel in a couple of years, but as it drastically changes in the near future. So anything else on the Big 12 or is it time to, uh, time to make some stone cold lock picks? No, let's do it. Let's make the people some money. Uh, well, well, let's try at least at this rate because uh, it hadn't been happening for me lately. I think. No, I've uh, just been fading you, dog. I've been making a ton of money off of your pick. So yeah. uh, keep doing what you're doing. Well, uh, you go first. Let's mix it up. Let's see what you got this week for your lock of the week. Well, I shouldn't be talking too much trash because my lock of the week last week did not hit. Uh, I was hoping this was more an emotional pick than a logical pick. I was just so bitter after Arkansas beat Texas the way that it did that I picked Georgia Southern to cover 24 against Arkansas, and they didn't even come close. Maybe Arkansas is a decent football team, and I think we all have to root for them this weekend because they're playing Texas A&M at Jerry World. So that'll obviously be an interesting one to watch. Clearly I'm filibustering here, Joe, because you know we've only had 45 minutes in this podcast for me to look at some games, and I haven't done that yet. Oh, man. Do you have one top of mind? Looking through it, there is uh, there's one that I, I do like. Okay. And I was in, let me say, I was intrigued by Arkansas plus five. I was very much intrigued by it, but I, I just don't see it happening. I think my lock of the week is going to be Iowa State by a touchdown heading down to Waco to play the Bears. Not a night kick, so 230 kick. Uh, Iowa State, they got to figure things out, but I think that that defense is going to cause a lot of problems for Baylor, especially this year, especially with, you know, in implementing a, a pretty new offensive system. And I think Iowa State can just do what they do. And if at the very worst, I think it'll be a push, but I think Iowa State getting seven versus Baylor, I think they can do that. All right. I like that pick. I'm going to go with, man, there are two on between, but I'm going to go with this one. I'm going to go with Matt Brown. I'm going to go with North Carolina on the road at Georgia Tech. I'm seeing UNC minus 12 and a half right now. Uh, disappointing opening week loss for Carolina against Virginia Tech. But since then, they put up 59 points in back-to-back games, including uh, just a, a walloping of Virginia last weekend. Meanwhile, Georgia Tech, they played Clemson close, but they, they, like I just don't trust their offense at all. I don't think they could score. So, I'm going uh, – the game was 14-8, to eight, by the way. Clemson got the win. It was clearly Clemson's offensive struggles uh, and not Georgia Tech's offensive success. So I'm going to go with UNC, minus 12.5 on the road at the Ramblin' Wreck on Saturday night. That's my lock of the week. I'm baking on Mac Brown, which uh, I'll see if that works. One, one more quick question, I guess, just to throw it in there. Who's the second-best team in college football? Who's the second best team in college football? Wow. Uh, well, Alabama's the first best team despite their struggle in the swamp the last week. I think that's the assumption. Okay. Who's the second best team in college football right now? Man, oh, that's that's a good question. Georgia feels like a good pick. I mean, I know that's, that's my pick. easy to say because they're number two right now. That defense is the best in college football. It's still some questions about their offense, but I think JT Daniels will get better as the year goes on. I know Oregon had that great win in Columbus, but I, I still don't think they're there. Obviously, Oklahoma has not looked like uh, one of those teams. It just feels like the second tier is closer to the first tier than we've seen in a long time. So 
yeah, I'll go with Georgia right now to answer that question. But it's nice maybe seeing a little bit more parity uh, in college football. I would love for that to continue over the course of the season. Same here. All right. I think that about does it, right, Brad? Yeah, all right. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the 1 and 0 podcast. Appreciate y'all listening. Sorry for the technical difficulties, but uh, hopefully I did a good enough job cutting some stuff out so y'all didn't have to deal with any long pauses uh, throughout this show. But uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank y'all for the continued support. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter at josephcook89. Check out the great work that he does over at InsideTexas.com. Definitely subscribe. Become a member over there if you have not done so yet. They're always pumping out great Texas Longhorn content. They've got a ton of insider information, too. So go to InsideTexas.com to learn more. And you can follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner and listen to The Wheelhouse on ESPN 97.5 in Houston weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. You can listen online at ESPN 975 Com. Thanks again to our sponsors, AV Consultations and Altstad Beer. For Joe Cook, I am BK Brad Kellner. Until next time, y'all stay safe, y'all stay healthy, and hook them.